Sami and Jodi, how does it feel to be married? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Our first kids. They look to the word. I don't know how much they will hear. But the rest of you have ears. And you are not getting married today. So better listen. <laughs> we look to the Lord first. Father, this evening we just want to thank you, Lord. For this beautiful, beautiful occasion, Lord. Thank you. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. In your divine providence. The God who brought Eve to Adam. The God who brought Rebecca to Isaac. Is the God who brought Jyoti to Samuel. You never change. We just want to thank you, Father. Thank you. Now as we look into your word, I pray, Father, you would speak to us. You would speak to us. Many, some may not be able to understand. But I pray... The anointing would rest upon them. And your spirit would give them peace. Speak, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So this evening we are here. The first time I had to lead a girl down the aisle and also conduct the wedding. That is interesting. I realize there's less chaos when you do it that way. A girl was very, very, very nervous. She didn't know what to do. So her mother said, don't worry, honey. It's very simple. Remember three things. You have to walk down the aisle. Then you'll come to the altar. Then remember him. So she kept on muttering under her breath, I'll alter him. Somebody said marriage is a bond between a person who never remembers anniversaries and another who never forgets them. And somebody else said we are married for better or worse. I couldn't have done better and she couldn't have done worse. (laughs) This evening, this is something that happened 6,000 years ago. The most beautiful wedding took place in a garden when God took his daughter Eve and brought her to the man, his son, Adam. Adam opened his eyes. There were only stars in his eyes and he looked at her and said, wow, man, that's how we get the word woman. And we are looking forward to another wedding that is coming, the wedding of the Lamb. In between are all the weddings. Every wedding is a reminder of the first and the last. The first wedding in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. And the last wedding, the final chapters of the book of Revelation. This evening I want to read scripture. Pretty long. I never think I have ever read such a long scripture for a wedding. But tonight I will, from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 onwards. Probably you cannot see it very clearly, but everybody knows. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, 
So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There are just a few places in the, in the Bible, especially the New Covenant, that is entirely devoted to husbands and wives. And this is one of those portions. The other portion being the first epistle of Peter and chapter 3. Most men only know verse 22. And they don't know the rest. They've memorized verse 22. You need to understand God has established laws, spiritual principles. And post-salvation, the grace of God will enable us to keep them. Marriage being the first relationship that God actually blesses in the Bible. A fivefold blessing God pronounces in the Bible in Genesis 1. But post the fall of Adam and Eve, everything went topsy-turvy. Man fell. Marriage fell. Home fell. But Jesus has shown us the way back. Often when we read verse 22, Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. There's so much controversy over it. The application of it the use and the abuse. But honestly, if you look into this portion, most of that portion is not addressed to the woman. It's addressed to the man. Only two verses are given to the woman. The rest is all to the man. Why? So this night I'm talking to you, Sam, and all the men, married and unmarried. The girls... Married and unmarried can relax because this is on them today. Okay, on me too. In verse 23, God says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. It does not mean man and women or women are inferior to men. No. The Bible makes it very clear. In Christ, we are all equal. But God has created us to meet different needs and different roles. 
Equality of worth doesn't mean sameness of function. That's where headship comes. Government needs a head. Every office organization needs a head. Churches needs a head. Homes need a head. Anything without a head is dead. You know that? And anything with two heads is a freak of nature. Even the very Trinity where God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal in all respects. The head is the Father. So what does headship mean? With headship comes authority. And with authority comes responsibility and accountability. Sam, till around 10 minutes back, you had to take care of only yourself. It has changed. You are both responsible and accountable to God. One more person in your life. This is the principle of authority in the kingdom. With authority comes incredible responsibility and accountability. This is how it is said. You can never be over those things that God wants to put you under until you get under those things God has put over us. The head of man is Christ. That is a basic kingdom principle. And the head of woman, therefore, is man. With authority comes responsibility and accountability. That's where Adam failed. He failed to be responsible for the woman God had given him. He failed to be accountable for the mess that happened. That's why in Genesis 3, God doesn't ask Eve, Eve, where are you? He asked the head who was both accountable and responsible when something went wrong, where are you? In Genesis chapter 16, the whole household of Abraham goes absolutely haywire. It is a mess in a home. But in Genesis 17, when God comes, he will not ask Sarah, what did you do? He asks Adam, tell, sorry, Abraham, walk before me and blameless, meaning the fault lies with the head. The buck stops with you. This is what the Bible is talking about, headship. Headship means authority. Authority means accountable and responsible. Marriage is a covenant. That's what happened now, not a contract. In contract, you look for rights. And if rights are not met, you look for loopholes how to annul the contract. But in covenant, you don't look for rights. You look for responsibilities. In verse 23, it says, Christ is the savior of the body. Christ is the savior of the church. That means Sammy. Positionally, he says, I have put you to save her. And in Indian culture, it's absolutely clear. The husband is called Pati. The wife is called Patni. Pati means savior. The one who saves. What kind of a savior? He's not a dictator. The only leadership in the Bible is servant leadership. In Luke chapter 22, verse 25 to 27, 
And he said to them, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I, this is Jesus, the head of the church, yet I am among you as the one who serves. This is leadership, the only leadership recognized in the Bible. In John chapter 13, verses 12 to 15. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat down again. He said to them, that's his disciples, his church. Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is what we learn from Jesus. What is a husband? What does authority to the husband, headship to the husband mean? He's responsible and he's accountable and he serves. He serves his wife. He serves his family. That's what he does. That's what he's called to do. We learn from Jesus. Then in verse 25, 525, husbands, love your wives. Just not like the world says. God is not talking anything about the world. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the way. What kind of love is that? The Bible says the husband is called to sacrificially love his wife. Willing to lay down your rights and pick up your responsibilities. Indian men only know rights. They do not know responsibilities because that's the way they were brought up. But that's not the way Christ shows the picture. He didn't pick up any right. He laid them down. He picked them up only on the other side. This is the leadership God is asking you, all men sitting here. And you will see how your, your marriage will change. Christ gave himself for his wife. That is not what Abraham did. When he went to Egypt, he picked up his life and told Sarah, you, you just say you are my sister. That's what Isaac did. He said, Sarah, Rebecca, say that you are my sister. He picked up his life. That's what Jacob did at Peniel. That's not what Jesus did. He laid down his life for his wife. Every day. A little at a time. Laying down your life for your spouse and later for your family, the children. Just as Jesus did. Sacrificial love. There's no other love in the Bible. If you come to verse 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot of wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That love which Christ shows, which we are called to emulate, is, is a purifying 
love. That's what Jesus is doing till now, every moment. The words that you use first, because it's words. The words that you use with her are the ones that edifies her, that encourages her, that strengthens her. Yes, corrects her, because that's part of headship, corrects her. But in the process, you're not looking out for yourself. You're looking out what is good for her according to the word. It's a purifying love that he might sanctify and cleanse. And that's a husband's job. That's your job profile. And that's what Jesus is doing for everyone. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. That's what he's doing. Our spirit, our soul, our body is constantly through the washing of the water of the word. He's constantly cleansing you. And that's what the husband is called to do. With the word, with works sanctify and purify his wife. Words that edify, words that lift up. Because you know, God said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Can you use it for life? Or use it and use it for death. And as the head, your words have more power than any other man's words in your wife's life. It does not matter. Let us say your girl has grown up being cursed by every other person in her life. You can change it all and today through your blessings her life will change. Because that's the power God has put in your mouth. The power to bless. Because you now replace every other authority in her life. You are her head. And you have the power to bless or the power to curse. And that's why God is talking about a purifying, sanctifying love. How? By the washing of the water of the word. Parents have that, but that is over now. She's moved from her family to your side. Parents have, fathers have the power to bless. Mothers have the power to bless. When Benjamin was being born, Rachel was dying. And in her sorrow, she named her son Benoni, means son of my sorrow. The father heard it and immediately changed the name and named him Benjamin, son of my right hand, because he knew if he doesn't, the child will grow under that curse pronounced by the mother. But doesn't matter what has happened, you can change it all starting today by choosing your words to bless. It's a sanctifying, purifying love. That's how authority is used. The intention, what's your intention? The same intention has Jesus, so that she may be holy, and pure in his sight and for you. Now we go to verse 28 and 29. This is what it says. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. It's a love that not only purifies It's a love that protects. Now, it's not you. It's her. Everything changes, Sammy. If you ever drove like a daredevil on a two-wheeler, it changes. Now, there'll be somebody sitting behind you. 
So, slow down. Slow down. Why? Because you're a husband who protects his wife. That's what. Abraham didn't protect his wife. Isaac didn't protect his wife. Jacob didn't protect his wife. But Christ did. When they came to arrest Jesus, his disciples were with him. And he asked this question. Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. Leave them alone. Don't touch them. That is protective love. And there are so many practical ways you can protect her. So many ways you can protect her. So many ways. And God will show you each day. If you ask God, he will show you what to do and how to do it. It says it's a love that protects. It's a love that cherishes. It's a love that nourishes. That's what it says. Look at what Jesus is saying at the end of his life on earth. He's got these disciples and he's asking them one question. When he was on earth, these were the twelve who were with him. Literally, his bride-to-be. This is the question he asked them. Luke 22, verse 35. He said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, Nothing. Today is the 19th of July. On August 19th, you should ask this question. Honey, it's one month. You've been my responsibility. Did you lack anything? And she should be able to say, nothing. Nothing. You met my need. You met my need. I lack nothing. Women are not asking for luxuries. They're not asking for luxuries. Should ask for luxuries, you can say that. Don't worry, one day, but not now. We are going to walk on streets that is paved with gold. But we should be able to answer this question when Jesus asked. They said nothing. Because that's what a man is called to be. In First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. From today, Sammy, your prayer life changes. If she's unhappy, God won't hear your prayer. Till yesterday, you could pray. You were a lone wolf. You could pray, he would hear. But today, from now, your prayer life changes. Your prayer life will be hindered if she is hurting because of you. Live with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel. Weaker does not mean inferior. Gold is weaker than steel. But if you are given a choice of steel and gold, which will you pick? Gold. She is gold, you are steel. That's how God said. Silk is more fragile than cotton. Does not make it cheaper. It makes it more expensive. God made woman weaker. So it is the God-given duty of the woman, of the man, to protect, to cherish, and to nourish her. To provide for her. Look at what it said over there. Who are you as being heirs together of the grace of life? Do you know church is called the co-heir with Christ? And she is called co-heir with you. There's no difference in the Bible. 
Then you come to verse 30 and 31. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is talking about oneness. It's talking about trust. It's talking about loyalty. Because to have oneness, there has to be loyalty. There has to be trust. You know what God tells the church? You know what God tells the church? Which you just told each other, I will never leave you, never or forsake you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you, is what Christ tells the church. And that's why we said, until death do part. That's loyalty. Better or worse, sickness or health, we will work it out. That's why it has to be equal. That's why God said, do not be unequally yoked. You're equally yoked. And you got a good start. You know the word. You have the spirit. You're prayed this way through. And the whole function of marriage on earth is so that that oneness could be displayed. It doesn't say same. It says one. The world wants to make man and woman same. That's why there is sexual confusion, gender confusion. God didn't say you both are same. He says you both are one. With your differences, you are one, not same. And the devil is coming and selling the lie that man and woman are the same. No, they are not. The Bible says male and female, he made them. In his image. They are one, but they are not the same. Get that difference. We don't want Sam Jyoti to be, a, after two weeks, act like a man, or Sammy to act like a woman. You're a man, she's a woman. To be one and not to be same. And to Jyoti and all the women... The divine injunction in this passage is very short. Verse 22 and 33. Verse 22 says, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And verse 30 says, Rever or respect. But, let me tell you, it's with the man. The man understands what headship is, what authority is, and it's what responsibility is, what accountability is. And he's a servant leader. And he learns to love that sacrifices. To love that purifies. The love that protects. The love that provides. And ultimately, it's very easy for the woman to submit. It's very easy for the church to submit. I'll tell you something, Sammy, about Christ and me. Till today, Christ has never forced me to do one thing. Never. Never forced me to do one thing. He just tells me what is right, what is wrong. And I choose. Okay? Jyoti, you know what is right? What is wrong? 
Sami never has to force you to do anything. Never has to force you to anything. That's how a marriage is built by God. That's how a marriage is built by God. We want your marriage to be something very special because you're one of our first kids from Grace Home getting married. And Sami has been with us for a decade. We want your marriage to be very, very special. Very special. Everything that the word of God is talking about. What about those who say, oh, pastor, I wish I had heard this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So God who gives a fresh start every day is a new day. Can start today. Can start today. Can look each other in your eyes. Today is another wedding anniversary. Samir and Rani's wedding anniversary. We have Lisa's birthday. Is Lisa and Shravan here yet? Have they come? No, they haven't come in yet. Okay, so we have Nolan's birthday today. So, you know what? It doesn't matter how how long you've been married. If your marriage has been terrible, you can recalibrate it today. Shouldn't be like the couple who said, our marriage is like a walk in the park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Jurassic Park. You can start today because my God, your God is for marriage, is for marriage, always is for marriage. If your husband, your wife is sitting next to you, maybe you can hold her hand. You don't have to explain, you don't have to write a file, you can just look into each other's eyes and say, honey, I'm sorry. That's all it takes. I'm sorry. And each other. You should be willing to take that. No, I want a written apology. I'll file it and keep it for memory. You know, all it takes is that, you know. Because when we say, Lord, I'm sorry, he says, forgiven. Forgiven. Every time. For the same thing. Over and over and over again. 70 times 7 a day. Every time we go back, he says, forgiven. You bring that into your marriage. You will see how marriages will work. They say in America, houses are destroyed every year by cyclones, hurricanes, tornadoes, natural disasters. But more houses are destroyed every year by termites. You know how small a termite is? That's how unforgiveness which is piled up is. It finally, your whole family falls apart. Your home falls apart. Little, little, little unforgiveness piled up, piled up, piled up, piled up today. So today, if you are married and you've been married for, doesn't matter how long you have been married. Tomorrow is Sister Usha's birthday. Yes, it's her birthday tomorrow. They've been married for how many years? 46 years. Okay. So doesn't matter how long. You can still hold hands and say, maybe I do not know, I do not remember, but you are hurting. I'm sorry to each other. Let today, July the 19th, 
not just be a new beginning for Sammy and Jyoti, but for many couples today. But it lies, let me tell you again, it lies with the man, not with the woman. The woman sinned, that's us. The man came down to die for her. It doesn't begin with the woman. It begins with the man always. So it is to the men, today's message was addressed. When things go wrong, it still scares me. An old, old, incredible man of God. Servant of God, died, went to be with the Lord. Godly man of God. His wife's name was Joy, I think. Joy or Joyce or something. This is what he said, which is very difficult for me, even today to even think, when he said, Joyce is my bride, not the church. The church is Christ's bride. If Joyce is unhappy, I will give the bride back to Christ and go with Joyce. The Joyce is my bride whom Christ gave to me. The church is Christ's bride, not mine. Think, dwell on that statement. Dwell on that statement, what that man said. They had one of the most beautiful marriages you could ever think of. Because the honest rests on the man. Not the first man whom God had to come looking for. Adam, Adam, where are you? But the second one who said, here I am. Here I am. So we'll pray. Father, this evening, I want to thank you, Lord. For Sam and Jyoti and for every couple here. And every unmarried man here. An unmarried girl here. Let them go with these pictures in their heart. Which is true. Not what the lie the world sells. But what is true in your sight. Because marriage is not man's invention. It is God's invention. And there is an eternal marriage that is coming. That will be forever and ever. Therefore I pray and I speak healing. Into every broken marriage. I pray men will humble. Women will humble. Submit to one another. In the fear of the Lord. The God who brought Adam and Eve together. Will put their lives together. Their homes together. So their children will grow. In safe places. Where there is no rancor. No wrath. No violence. But peace. Love. And joy O father. I pray for everyone here, Lord. Because that is what the kingdom of God is. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.